Let's open our Bibles, uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. <clears throat> you know, when people get up and speak, they usually, it's not good usually when they get up and start making excuses. They start off with excuses, right? That's not really, a, you're not supposed to do that, but I'm going to start off, I don't really don't feel that great today. So whatever I say, you'll see why I say that, because you're going to see what we talk about today, but last week we talked about being rescued, and uh, we talked about the fact that we've been rescued from a lot, from the, from the judgment for our own sins, for our own rebellion, we've been rescued from wrath, really, from separation, from hell, and, and that the Word of God says we've been rescued from the wrath to come, the coming wrath by God Himself. He Himself rescued us. And the most wonderful thing about it is that, that God provides what His holiness requires. Let me say that again. God provides what His holiness requires. Jesus, it says there, look at verse 10. <clears throat> says it for he died for us he died for us in other words he took our place he took the wrath upon himself that you and I should take because we deserve it you know when we start to think well I don't really deserve you know I don't really deserve it we really don't know what sin is we deserve punishment we deserve wrath we deserve judgment because of sin that's what sin deserves but God sent his son to be our savior, to, to rescue us from all that. And he took it himself. He took it upon himself. So he says in verse 11, therefore encourage one another. I want to encourage you and I want to, to help build you up. And, and we need to encourage one another, each other, and build each other up just as, as in fact you are doing. And we're, we're working on those things. And so I think that's a good thing. Um, <clears throat> there was a pastor, <clears throat> not here, but somewhere else, but you know, you know, in the bathrooms, so they have those hot air machines, you know, to save on paper, or it's a green thing. And they put them in the restrooms at the church, and, um, and, and after two weeks, he took them out. Do you know this one, Val? He took them out, and, and so, you know, we, we, we asked him, why did you take them out? And he says, he said that they worked fine, but when he went into the, to the bathroom, he saw a sign on it and said, for a sample of this week's sermon, push the button. Is that cruel? Oh, I'm never getting those things. Don't even ask. There was another couple who invited their uh, elderly preacher, and I don't want to hear any jokes about my age, to come over for Sunday dinner, and they were in the kitchen preparing and the uh, the ministry asked the son you know what they were having and the boy said the little boy said goat and we don't often have that around here right goat and so the the man said goat are you sure about that and and uh, the youngster he said yep I heard dad say to mom today is just as good as any to have the old goat for dinner But I'm sure you've, you've heard this before, and uh, <clears throat> I'm just going to tell stories all day today because it's fun. <laughs> but the mother, you know, she called her son 
one morning to get out of bed and get ready for church, right? And he said, I'm not going. Maybe you have that battle with your kids. His mother said, yes, you are going, so get out of that bed right now. Right now. And he said, listen, give me one good reason why I should go. And she said, I'm going to give you three. I'm going to give you three good reasons. Number one, I'm your mother, and I say you're going. That's good enough right there. Let's just stop right there. No, number two, you're 40 years old. <laughs> so you're old enough to know better, right? And how many, how many of you know the third reason? Third reason, you're the pastor, so you need to be there. <laughs> I'm glad I don't live with my mother. No comment. The perfect pastor, right? The perfect pastor. The perfect pastor preaches exactly 10 minutes. He condemns sin roundly, but never hurts anyone's feelings. He works from 8 a.m. until midnight, and he's also the church janitor. The perfect pastor makes $40 a week, wears good clothes, drives a good car, buys good books, and donates $30 a week to the church. He is 29 years old and has 40 years' experience. Above all, he is handsome. I like that part. At least I can hit one of these, right? The perfect pastor has a burning to desire to work with teenagers, and he spends most of his time with the senior citizens. He smiles all the time with a straight face <laughs> because he has a sense of humor that keeps him seriously dedicated to his church. He makes 15 home visits a day, and he's always in his office to be handy when needed. <laughs> this is funny. He never misses the meeting of any church organization and is always busy evangelizing the unchurched. The perfect pastor is always in the next church over. If your pastor does not measure up, simply send this notice to six other churches that are tired of their pastor too. <laughs> then bundle up your pastor and send him to the church at the top of the list. And if everyone cooperates in one week, you will receive 1,643 pastors. One of them should be perfect. Oh, perfect pastor, the perfect leader. Do they exist? Knowing all this, I want to look at a, another difficult subject this week. Depending on how you look at the word difficult, how to treat your leaders, and uh, I got to have some humor here in this thing because otherwise I wouldn't even be able to talk about this because it's like, it's weird, right? How do you treat your leaders? And being a leader, then you're going to tell people how to treat you. This is the way I want you to treat me, <laughs> right? Um, let's, re <laughs> let's read the passage, verse 12 and 13. Now we ask you, brothers, to respect those who work hard among you who are over you in the Lord and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard, in love, because of their work. Live in peace with each other. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, and we do pray that you would help us today to understand what 
you would say to us as your church, as your people, as a little part of the family of God, that we could uh, know and love and, and, uh, and, and, and be your servants with one another and to one another in Jesus' name. He starts off there, he says, now we ask you, brothers, to do these things. And <clears throat> I find it interesting because he doesn't, it's not a command that he starts with, it's not a demand that he starts with. And, but I've kind of heard that sort of philosophy, the command and demand of how you're supposed to treat the leaders. And, and that gets kind of weird to me. Does it get weird to you? Are you feeling weird and uncomfortable yet? Okay, I'll work on it a little bit more. If you've ever been to a place where you've heard this expression, don't touch the Lord's anointed. Anybody ever been there and you've heard that said? Don't touch the Lord's anointed. Maybe you haven't been <laughs> to the, the churches that I've been to or in touch with different churches. But, you know, that's scriptural. That's a scripture, by the way, where David said he wasn't going to attack Saul, even though Saul was trying to attack and kill him. He wasn't going to attack him. So he said, you know, far be it for me to touch the Lord's anointed and, and do something against him. You know, but people, they take these things out of context, and it's like, you can't say anything, you can't do anything to the Lord's anointed who happens to be that person, right? And, and it just gets very, very strange. And, and uh, Paul here, he starts off and he says, we ask you, we request and desire that, 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 the, that you do these things that respect and regard and, and these things we're talking about here. There is... I want to say there is a place for respect and regard, willingly though. And respect, we all know that these things are built on trust, right? They're built on trust. And they're built uh, on someone's example. And as it says in this passage two different times, it's, worth, it's built on what they do, on the work that they do, not the title so much that they have. This word respect, and, and some versions say know those who work hard among you, it, it includes kind of a lot of different understandings to see, to know, to recognize, to appreciate, and to, and to respect too. It's all, it's all a part of this package of, of kind of, uh, you know, how to work and how to treat your leaders. But again, it's not just those that have titles, David Guzik said that leaders are recognized not by their titles, but by their service, by what they do. We're, you know, we're, we're not you know, big on titles around here, and, and maybe that's a good thing, maybe that's a bad thing, I don't really know, but it really, it's not about what a title somebody has been given, it's about what they do, it's by what, how they serve, it's by how they function. By their labor, by their work, it says here, you know, to respect those, to know those who work hard among you, who are over you in the Lord, who admonish you. This word for labor or to work hard means to toil, to feel fatigue, to actually be wearied. It, it means they're actually putting something out. They're actually, it's costing them something. They're actually doing something. You know, I could have uh, all kinds of titles but not do anything, and the titles are fairly useless, Right? And sometimes in the ministry to serve and, and to be uh, in spiritual kind of leadership in any sort of function, we're going to talk about that. Fidel, I remember I, I mentioned last week that Fidel had, 
had called me and tried to encourage me. And, and we all need encouragement. Every one of us needs encouragement. But he said, you know, sometimes he says that, that he gets wearied in the ministry, but he doesn't get wearied of the ministry. And I think that that's true. You know, we, we do get tired. And, and part of it is what we're supposed to do. If we never got wearied, if we never got tired, we're probably not doing much. If we're never putting anything out, if you never, you know, get on the treadmill, you're never going to, you know, have, you know, any benefits, any kind of uh, exhaustion from it. So he says here to know, to appreciate, to respect those that are serving. So I was thinking about that, you know, just this idea of to knowing and to seeing and, and, and uh, what he's asking us to do here in this place. And, and, and so I thought about it here, you know, do we, do we really kind of know? Do you know? I think, I think ultimately we're a small enough group that you should be able to pick them out, those people that are leaders. Even though we don't have them up on the board, you know, showing their names and exactly what they do. I think what he's saying here is you should be able to, in some way, shape, or form, see who's actually doing something, right? Now, I'm not talking about making this all big works thing, like we're, you know, we all have to be, you know, works, but if God's raising somebody up to, to, to be a leader in some way, there's, there's a job that they're supposed to do. Now, some of you, you know, haven't been here very long, or maybe you're not aware, you know, and... and at the risk of leaving some out, I'll mention a few names that I almost hesitate to do this at all, but, but really there are some here that, that God is using. Uh, Jim, Norman, Alex, Justin, Dan, and many more. And then we have ladies, we have Paula, we have Annie, Anna, Sandy, and more. And I left out a bunch because I could name a whole bunch more. But to know them to see them, to kind of understand. And, 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 well, to understand that it's not an always an easy job to step up and to do something for God. There's a cost in it. And it's, sometimes it's an awkward place to be. Warren Wiersbe, he said to accept them, but they're not dictators, but leaders and examples. In these verses here, I want you to notice, it says in verse 12, he said, notice or to respect those who work hard among you, right? And then he says, who are over you. So those two things, they are among you, but they're also over you. And, and we're going to talk about the over you in, in, in just one second. But this kind of a, a contrast or this, this paradox really to be among you and yet over you at the same time. Warren Wiersbe also said this for a pastor or for a leader to be among and over at the same time demands grace and the power of the Spirit. He said, if he gets out of balance, his ministry will be weakened and possibly destroyed. Some church members want their pastor to be a buddy, but this could weaken his authority. On the other hand, if he emphasizes only his authority, he could become a selfish dictator. It's kind of a, it's a, kind of a hard road to, to hold sometimes. You, to, to take a position of leadership and do what you need to do, but also realize that, that you are among the people. I'm just one of you, for example, speaking about myself and, and applying this to all the other leaders as well. We are only human. We are just people. We are made of clay. And yet given a responsibility. 
given something to do, giving something to oversee, giving something to organize, giving something to uh, make work. We need structures in life. Is that, is that true? You need structure at work. You need structure wherever we go. You need it in the family. You need it in the home. You need it in, in society. We have people that are, are in places of authority. Here in this church, and again, for better or for worse, we have a fairly minimal structure here. Some places that you would go to are very well-defined and very rigid in their uh, authority structures. Some places take it to the very, very far extreme, and, and they get completely, and it, it becomes dictatorial. And then other places, there's no structure at all, and everybody's all buddies, and nothing ever gets accomplished, nothing ever gets done. It's trying to find that balance. But I want to I point out to, to something to you as well in terms of spiritual leadership that Jesus, he turns it all completely upside down compared to when you hear the words authority and somebody over you. Jesus turns it completely upside down. You say, why do you say that? What are you talking about? Jesus said, if anyone wants to be first, he must be the very last and the servant of all. Jesus said, as he, as he washed the disciples' feet, he said, I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. To his leaders, he said that. But I want you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 20, and <clears throat> we'll read some more about what Jesus said, because this is important not just for me, but for all of us, and for those, especially those who are called to be leaders, we're not called to... Uh, ex exert some kind of spiritual authority or to, uh, I can't think of the word, I, word I'm trying to find. <clears throat> but look at verse uh, 24, Matthew chapter 20. There were these two brothers, and they wanted to have these special spots, right? And they actually had their mother come and ask for them, thinking that would like get them some, some headway, some bonus points or whatever, maybe she had a way with words. But the other disciples, they heard about it in verse 24. Jesus basically said, no, you're not going to get those spots. But when the ten heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. And Jesus called them together and he said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their high officials exercised authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He turns it completely upside down, doesn't he? For somebody to come and demand some kind of place and respect and not have a servant's heart, that's, that, that is not what Jesus was talking about in terms of being a servant, in terms of being a spiritual leader. He was talking to these guys who would argue along the way, you know, who's the greatest of, of our group, our, you know, our little band of 12, who's the greatest one? They'd argue about it along the way. Oh, but we would never do that. I would never think that. I mean, the thing is, we may never say it, but we would be thinking it. Oh, man, look what I just did. That's pretty awesome. 
He says, if you want to become great, not so with you, not to lord it over people. So to be over someone is actually to be under them. Jesus turns a lot of things upside down. The Word of God you know, completely turns things around from the way the world would look at it. How about Peter? <clears throat> I think Peter got the message, finally. It took him a while. But let's turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. Closer near the end of the New Testament here. James, Peter, John, Jude, Revelation. Peter, <clears throat> you know, he had his moments, did he? Did he not? When he really thought he could get in there and do a lot of things. And, and uh, <clears throat> he got himself into a lot of trouble. I think probably the worst time is when Jesus had to say, get behind me, Satan. Can you imagine that? But he finally got the idea, and, and that, that was, of course, in that particular moment when Jesus uh, talked about going to the cross and Peter said, you know, you really shouldn't even be talking about that. He took him aside tried to straighten him out. You don't really need to go to the cross. And he said, get behind me. Get behind me, Satan. But later on, Peter writes here in 1 Peter chapter 5. He says, to the elders among you, I, I appeal as a fellow elder. And he's talking about leadership. He said, a witness of Christ's sufferings and one who also will share in the glory to be revealed. He said, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care. Serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you are willing as God wants you to be. Not greedy for money, but eager to serve. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. See, Peter, he got the message. He got the message. And sometimes it takes us a long time to understand and to get the message. But he finally got the message here about what it meant to be a leader. He says, listen, I, you, you're called to be an overseer and look out. But he says, you're not lording over. You're overseeing. You're looking out over. But notice he uses very similar words as Paul did. He says, to the elders among you. And yet the flock was under your care. Among you, but yet still having a place over them, watching over them. He talks about this idea that it's a willing thing to, to do. It's not something that you must do. It's not, it's not a career that you choose. It's, it's, it's a, a calling that God places in your life to be in some kind of spiritual leadership. It's something you feel you must do, something you feel called to do, something that you feel that, that you can't not do it and be obedient to God. But notice he says those same words, not lording it over, not lording it over, but being examples. Being examples to the flock. I think, I think that's probably the hardest part about it, isn't it? To be that example. We can all be the tough, you know, tough people and you know, try to tell people what to do and, and try to exert some kind of you know, authority or whatever, but 
But, but for me personally, and, and, and maybe you understand what I'm saying here if you're in some kind of leadership, to, that, that God's called us to be examples, to be an example. I need, you know, so, so how I live and how I talk and what I do, and, and uh, there, there's a pressure there to be a good example. Maybe even a pressure to be perfect, possibly. I want to say one thing about this whole discussion, though, is a lot of this stuff I, I, I don't feel here at all, I don't, uh, in, in a good sense. I'm not feeling the, that kind of pressure from you people. It's more that I feel the pressure within myself. You people are great. You people are awesome. I, I don't feel a lack of, of anything from you people. I want to say that, but we need to also study God's Word and say what, see what it says and, and, and parse it out and figure out what he's talking about here so we understand. But to be an example, and, and, and uh, it's probably mostly internal pressure where you think, well, gosh, I could have done that better. I could have, I could have said that better. I could have been a better teacher. I could have been a better you know, encourager. I could have uh, done so many things. I, I could have, I should have, I would have. And it just goes on, and you walk away, and you go like, Wow. I'm just being honest with you, because I've been here a long time, and, and, and some of you already know, and so it's no point in me trying to pretend. It's really no point at all to pretend what life is like inside my head. <laughs> you go home sometimes, and some of you teach the kids, or you teach Bible studies, or you teach different, you go home and you say, well, that was completely horrible and you think about it all night long like what why did I say that stupid thing that I said well the truth is there is no perfect leader there's no perfect decision there's no perfect Bible study there's no perfect anything when it comes from us there's only one perfect and that's Jesus himself only one but that doesn't mean that we don't keep trying. It doesn't mean that we, we don't strive to be the very best that we can be and, and try to be the very best servants that we can be. We, we got to try. How about um, back a few books to Hebrews chapter 11 or chapter 13, I'm sorry. Hebrews chapter 13. The writer to the Hebrews here, <clears throat> he talks about it too. Verse 17 and 18, he says, Obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Obey them so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us. We are sure that we have a clear conscience and desire to live honorably in every way. There's some challenges in there, isn't there? First of all, there's this responsibility. There's a call to watch over, and there's responsibility for those that have spiritual leadership. That's, that's why Paul said to Timothy, you know, don't, don't just rush out and wanting to be a teacher because you're going to be held to a stricter a stricter judgment, more accountability. And here he says that leaders will 
give an account. They must give an account at some day. That almost scares me enough to go home right now. I'm going to have to give an account for what I say, for what I do. Again, you've got to be careful. You don't take it to, to, to destroy yourself and make yourself insane. I don't have far to go. It's a very short trip. But he talks about here about how, how to treat your leaders, you know, to try to work with them so that, so that what they're trying to do, if they're, if they're trying to do a good thing, try to work with them. They're not perfect. Understand that. They're not perfect. And, and, and don't make it like you're the one that's always telling them the bad stuff. You're the one that's always telling them how they did that wrong and did this wrong. And, and, and they, they, do, they walk out of there going, man, there's no joy in this. I'm going to go do something else. He says, that's going to be no advantage to you if your leaders are like uh, completely, you know, battling with every person, every situation, everything. And again, I don't face that. I don't feel that here. I just, I'm just saying it because it's here, right? Because we believe in God's word. He says, that'd be no advantage to you. But look what he says there in verse 18. He says, pray for us. Pray for us. Jeremiah talked about it. He says, I, the Lord says in Jeremiah 6, I appointed watchmen over you. I appointed watchmen over you and said, listen to the sound of the trumpet. But you said, we will not listen. You said, we will not listen. The Lord said, I got I to gotta put somebody over you to, to, to watch out for you and, and to sound the alarm. But you said we will not listen. That's kind of scary. How about Acts? Let's turn to Acts chapter 20. One more on our journey here. Acts chapter 20. And I'm almost done. I'm leaving. I love you people. I really do. Because you're awesome. But look what he says here in Acts 20, 28. I remember reading a book years ago, and I don't even think I got through the whole book, but he, he uh, wrote a whole book on Acts 20, 28. He says, keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from, from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Notice he says, first of all, you got to watch yourself. you got to watch over yourself to truly be that person, that man, that woman of God. you gotta, you got to watch over yourself. It's a, it's a dangerous place to be when all we're doing is looking out for the other person and we're not watching over ourselves and t trying to be what God has called us to be and, and have that relationship with God that we desperately have. One of the things that Fidel told me um, the other day when he called, he says, the most important thing is your relationship with God. Your relationship with God. That's more important than ministry that you have a personal relationship with God. I remember uh, Lloyd Pulley at one of our huddle 
uh, meetings in New Hampshire, he said, you know what, I, I got I to gotta have that time, my own time with God, not preparing Bible studies, not getting, uh, you know, uh, studies ready to teach here, to teach there. He had a very large church, he said, but that time with, with me and the Lord and His Word, he says it was a non-negotiable. He'd come to that place where it's non-negotiable. I, I, this, is, this is non-negotiable. I've got to have that time, that relationship. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. It's got to be a spiritual thing coming from the Holy Spirit. Let's turn back to Thessalonians. <clears throat> He says in the last part of verse 12, he says, those who admonish you, those who admonish you through the, through the teaching of God's word, just through being there, through counsel, through prayer, by example, this, this uh, helping people, encouraging people, uh, helping them to go along this path. One person wrote this, leaders were chosen to teach sound doctrine, to help Believers mature spiritually and equip believers to live for Jesus. Spiritual leadership, if we're not helping each other along the path, if we're just like having a little friendly club or anything, what good is that? I, I can do that at home. But, but, you know, hopefully what we do is we encourage one another to get on the path, to stay on the path, to keep going on the path, to keep challenging each other, encouraging each other as long as it's called today, Encouraging each other daily while it's still called today to stay on that path to grow. We talked last night at, uh, we, were, we heard a, some great uh, speaker. I wish we would have recorded, but we, we talked last night and we had some guest speakers come and, and talked about our marriages and, and uh, how they, they really, you know, not to settle for second best, not just to settle for hard-heartedness, but to be growing and learning and getting better. And, and really, you know, we need to be getting better in our marriages. We need to be getting better in our relationships. If we just stop and stagnate, what good is that? Verse 13, he said, hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. He said, hold him in the highest regard. Be thankful and appreciative. Warren Wiersbe said, appreciate them. There's nothing wrong with honoring faithful servants of God so long as God gets the glory. Spiritual leadership, he said, is a great responsibility and a difficult task. It is not easy to serve as a pastor or elder or deacon or other spiritual leader the battles and burdens are many, and sometimes the encouragements are few. It is dangerous when a church family takes their leaders for granted and fails to pray for them, work with them, and encourage them. Well said. Warren Wiersbe, one of my favorites. And finally, he says here to live in peace with each other. I mentioned in the, the first part of verse 12, it was a request. We ask you to, to do these things. But here in the end of verse 13, it's imperative. This is a command. He said, live in peace with each other. You've got to get along. You've got to make peace with each other. To live with constant friction and tension and battles amongst one another, oh, that's horrible. It's horrible within the home. It's horrible within a church. And some churches are just plain battlefields. 
Not here, thank God. Could we get to that? Sure we could. Why not? We are human. I'll read a, another one more quote in a minute. Tension and conflict, it, it will happen. So what do we do? We're going to have tension. We're going to have conflict. It'll happen. So what do we do? We need to forgive. We need to forgive one another, have grace for one another, and, and move on. There's no perfect church. You know that. You know that saying. There's no perfect church. Well, this is just not right, and this is just not good, and well, and then, you know, the grass is always greener on the other side. That church down the road is like perfect, and there is the perfect pastor at that church down the road because, man, he dresses, and he is handsome, that other guy. He even has hair, like, well, it's probably a toupee, but, but who cares? It looks good on the camera. There's no perfect leader. Paul said, if, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. As far as it depends on you, as far as what I can do about it, maintain the peace. Blessed are the peacemakers, Jesus said. They will, call, they will be called sons of God. One person wrote this, the number one problem among Christians everywhere is the problem of getting along with each other. I, I'm not sure if I agree with that, but it's, it's, this is what he said, the number one problem, getting along with each other. Is that true? You think it's true? <laughs> Some of you have been Christians a long time. He says, every believer has enough of the flesh in him to divide and wreck any local church. Every believer. This guy is a, is a writer of commentaries, also a pastor. His name is McDonald. Every believer has enough of the flesh in him to divide and wreck any local church. I think that's true. I believe that. I could wreck this church. You could wreck this church. People have tried to wreck this church. And it, it's not healthy. It's not right. But he said, only as empowered by the Spirit can we develop the love and brokenness and forbearance and kindness and tenderheartedness and forgiveness that are indispensable for peace. Only as empowered by the Spirit. He talked about that last night in the marriage. You know, he said, you know, it's not easy being married and we do fight against these things and we can settle. But he talked about Christ in us. And she talked about the Holy Spirit and, and beginning in the, you know, in the Spirit. We're going to try to now finish in the flesh. With the power of the Holy Spirit, we've, we've got to depend upon God's strength. To, and these are the fruits of the Spirit, right? To be able to get along with each other. It's just as important in our homes as it is in our church. Again, I want to say it. I've said it a few times already. It's not a problem that I sense here, but we should be on guard. We should be on guard. So what should you expect? Perfection? The perfect leader? It's not going to happen. Not here. Certainly not me. Or the other leaders that I mentioned and the other leaders I didn't mention. They're going to make mistakes. They're going to say stupid things. They're even going to do stupid things doesn't mean that, that we're going to not reap what we sow. I mean, if I do something stupid, 
really stupid, I'm going to have to pay the price for it. But we're going to have, you know, I, I, to, to have grace for one another as well and consequences for leaders as well. There was a passage I didn't read in Timothy where Paul said, don't en- entertain an, an accusation against an elder unless it's brought by two or three witnesses. But he says, those who sin are to be rebuked publicly so that the others may take warning. Pray. What we read in Hebrews, pray. Pray for us. Pray for the leaders that are among you and over you and actually under you. Paul asked for prayer all kinds of times. I want to close. I want to just read um, Charles Swindoll, um, who most of you know who he is, a pastor and down in Texas, was a pastor in California for many years. But someone came to him and said, listen, uh, he said, I'm kind of worried about you because he took on responsibility to become the president of Dallas Theological Seminary as well as pastoring the church that he started there in Texas. And and, uh, he said, I'm really kind of worried about you and, you know, you're taking on too much. And and Charles Swindoll, he, you know, he he thanked him. He, He appreciated that he, you know, was honest with him and would talk to him. And, and so he said, he said this, um, he said, I'm going to risk making a few promises to you, he said, that I made to my friend many years ago. He said, they're just as important today as they were then. And he made these promises, and, and I'm not sure about the promise part of it, but, but I think it's important what he said, these five promises that he made to his congregation, to his flock, five promises, he calls it from a shepherd to his flock. And he said this, number one, first he said, I promise to keep doing original and hard work in my study. No hectic schedule of mine will rob you of a strong pulpit or Bible teaching ministry. You deserve the best of my efforts. That was his number one goal, to teach the word and to, and to spend the time doing that. He said, second, I promise to maintain a heart for God, that relationship with God. That means I'll pray frequently and fervently. I will stay devoted to him and to the things of my calling. I won't simply talk about doing those things. I'll do them. Third, he said, I promise to remain accountable. He said, living the life of a religious lone ranger is not only unbiblical, it's dangerous. And I am committed to being open with other men of integrity. Be accountable. Fourth, he said, I promise to stay Faithful to my family. My wife deserves my time, affection, and undivided attention. Our now grown children and grandchildren are the same. I won't forget that no matter what. And fifth, he said, I promise to be who I am. Just me. He's very famous. Charles Swindoll, he says, no amount of public exposure will turn my head. Scout's honor. If I start acting sophisticated, remind me how disgusting it looks. How ridiculous shepherds appear when they start using pious words, trying to strut their stuff. He said, I plan to keep laughing, saying things a little off the wall, hanging out with the guys who aren't impressed and making a few mistakes each month. Sort of keeps the old Humanity gears greased. 
I like that. I like these things that he talks about here. I think they're good things to put into practice. Let's pray together. Gracious Father, we thank you for our church. We thank you for the church worldwide and how you do raise up men and women to serve in all different kinds of capacities and, and how uh, you provide the gifts and the talents necessary to do those things. But it, it, it comes with challenges and it comes with costs and it comes with learning and growing. And we've got a long way to go, every one of us. Long way to go in being leaders, long way to go in being uh, just part of the church and working with the leaders who are not perfect. I pray you'd help us, Lord, and I pray you'd, and though this church doesn't have uh, problems in this area, I, I believe right now, Lord, I pray you'd help us to be on guard and each one of us have a heart that's right and to do the right thing and to, to try to work together, to try to live at peace with one another and, and that we wouldn't be uh, taken away from the calling that you've given to us individually and, and as a church. Father, thank you. Thank you for all you've given to us already. We don't deserve any of it. We don't deserve nothing. But by your grace and your love, you've poured these things out to us, Lord. You've, you provide for us. You gave us a beautiful place. You gave us beautiful people to love and, and care for and, and try to help along this path, along this journey of faith. Uh, may, we, may we be faithful to you, Lord, and to each other to do those things. And Lord, as always, I want to give an opportunity to those that don't know Jesus, that are here today or maybe watching, that Jesus loves you, that he died for you, that he took your place, that he took the punishment that you and I deserved upon himself, that we could live forever in heaven, that we could have eternal life, that we could have a place in the family of God. And all that we need to do is simply receive that free gift. Absolutely free gift. And simply receive it and say, Jesus, I, I believe in you. I am a sinner. I'm lost. And I thank you for that gift of life, that free gift of life. And I come to you today. I receive you and I believe in you today. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.